Hey guys, welcome into the Faithful to the End podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. Here you'll find easy access to all of Pastor Dave's sermons and even guest speakers at Graceway Church of Michiana. At Graceway Church of Michiana, we preach expositionally through the scriptures as we feel this is most consistent with the author's original intent in writing and yields both biblically and contextually accurate interpretations. At this time, we would invite you to grab your Bibles as we dig in to the Word of God. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9 with me this evening, John chapter 9. We are going to be diverting from our usual Sunday evening series. We've been working through uh, Peter's epistles, 1st and 2nd Peter. And so we're going to actually jump away from that this evening and look at a passage dealing with spiritual sight. Spiritual sight in John chapter 9. So uh, as we interact with this text this evening, it's important to note that this is a narrative style of passage. And so uh, thus that being the case, we're again going to attempt to work through the entirety of the passage uh, in one sitting. And so if you thought this morning's message was lengthy over 28 verses, this is 41. So buckle up. As we, as we begin with this uh, narrative passage, what I'd like to do is simply work through this text verse by verse, and we're just going to work through it and really let the passage speak for itself. We're going to let the message of this passage speak for itself as we go through. And, and honestly, this text is chock full of ironies that teach us valuable lessons on the importance of of spiritual sight. And so as we would begin, let's just begin by reading our passage. We're going to jump right in here with John chapter 9, verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. As we begin in this passage, we see in verses 1 through 5, we're going to see a number of separate acts or scenes as we look through our passage. We're going to see a number of different groups of people through these acts or different scenes. And the very first one that we see is Jesus. We realize in uh, very first verse, verse 1, we see that Jesus sees John opens by telling us, and as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This man that Jesus is passing by is afflicted with a congenital disease of blindness. This is a defect that has happened from birth. Once again, very similar to our uh, lame man in the passage of Acts 14 this morning. This man has not had any accident that has caused him to lose his sight. He has been blind from birth. This detail is critical to the power of Jesus' healing, as the man later points out in verses 32 and 33. But the very next verse introduces us to our second group of people, the first blind group of people that we're going to interact with, and that is the disciples. In the very second verse of our passage, we see the blindness of the disciples who ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? 
this man or his parents that he was born blind? The disciples wrongly assumed that the man's blindness, this physical ailment or suffering, was directly correlated to sin. This was a common assumption made by Jews of the day. And in making this assumption, the disciples ignore the clear example of Job in the Old Testament, who's a righteous man afflicted by suffering that was not caused by sin. Jesus, in his answer, demonstrates again spiritual sight as he answers in verse 3. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man is blind so that God would be glorified through his blindness and his healing. While Jesus never denies that sin can cause suffering, he clearly states that this is not the case with this blind man. Jesus addresses the disciples' theological misunderstanding by explaining the man was born blind so that God might be glorified. Jesus further demonstrates his spiritual sight in verses 4 and 5 by clearly understanding his mission while on earth. Notice verse 4, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. While Jesus is on earth, his primary task is to accomplish the Father's will. And notice the end of verse 4, Night is coming when no one can work. This is clearly a reference to Jesus' crucifixion which the disciples most likely do not understand at this time. Jesus concludes in verse 5 saying, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He then begins the process of healing this blind man in verse 6 and 7. Jesus is making of clay broke rabbinic tradition. John is actually later going to reveal that this healing takes place on a Sabbath day. Rabbinic tradition is not the law. These are traditions that Pharisees had elevated to the status of law. And the Pharisees repeatedly struggle with Jesus throughout the Gospels over his breaking of rabbinic tradition. And here in verse 6, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and anoints the man's eyes with the mud. And, and fascinatingly, man is created from dust in Genesis 1. And what does Jesus use to heal this man except mud? It's, it's possible, even likely, that Jesus is fashioning new eyes for this man out of this mud. As he does this, he, just as he did at the creation of the world, he then instructs the man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. You notice the irony of Jesus sending the blind man to the pool called sent. Jesus is sent by the Father to bring light and restore spiritual sight. Throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah was prophesied to restore spiritual sight in both a physical sense and also a spiritual sense. These are prophecies throughout the Old Testament the Pharisees would have been familiar with. This is Jesus' mission while he is on earth. Remember verse 5, he is the light of the world. He's here to illuminate the darkness and to restore sight. Now as he does this, as the blind man does this, once again John concludes this initial interaction by succinctly summarizing and saying he went and washed and came back seeing As we would even conclude this opening section, we're introduced to the second group of people tonight that we notice are blind. We are introduced to the blind neighbors. Look down at verse 8 with me. The blind neighbors. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? 
Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. The neighbors are in disbelief. How could this man, born blind, whom they had seen sitting at the temple gate, begging for his living day after day, how could he have possibly regained his sight? This doesn't make sense to them. Once again, physical impairment of this nature often reduce people to a life of begging. Once again, very similarly to our man this morning, our crippled man this morning, who was also crippled from birth. What did he do? He's reduced to a life of begging in the marketplace. This man would have likely begged at the temple gate from the time he was a boy. There was nothing else he could do. The people living in this area would have known him well. They would have seen him day after day begging. And so the neighbors debate, many saying, it must be a lookalike. Surely this can't be the man. All the while, the man is insisting that he had been healed. He kept saying, I am the man. You can sense his excitement here. He kept saying, I'm the one, I'm the guy. They don't believe him. His message is urgent. The neighbors question his story in disbelief. However, he tells them of the man called Jesus who had restored his sight. They demand to know his whereabouts. Look down at verse 10. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and recovered my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. You notice even at the end of verse 12, the irony of asking a blind man for directions. He's likely only seen for a few moments at this point and the neighbors are in such disbelief that they insist to know Jesus' whereabouts so they can pursue this investigation. Clearly, he doesn't know he was blind when he was sent away to the pool of Siloam. He likely doesn't even know what Jesus looks like at this case, at this point, and so the people are baffled. They take the man to the Pharisees. They don't know what to do with him, and so in a sense, they dump him off to the next best group of people to continue this investigation, this interrogation. And the irony here is that the miracle is staring them right in the eyes, but they don't see it. We'll see irony is similar to this throughout this passage. They're not the only ones who don't see these blind neighbors. We also see the blind Pharisees in verse 13. Notice verse 13 with me. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. Notice John's parenthetical note in verse 14 to the readers in order to set the scene. This is what John's doing. John is setting the scene for the conflict that's about to take place. And as the Pharisees question the blind man's story, notice his consistency. Verse 15, so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. You can almost sense this blind man's growing confusion. He's simply thrilled to have had his sight restored, to have had his vision back, and no one else seems to be very excited for him. Everyone's interested in picking apart his story, looking for inconsistencies, and 
The Pharisees even are divided amongst themselves with what to do with this man, with the Jesus character on the whole. And notice this division. Some held that Jesus couldn't be from God because he broke the Sabbath traditions. Others question how he could possibly perform such works apart from God. In their befuddlement, these religious authorities of the day turned to the blind beggar for insight. They said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. His reply that Jesus is a prophet demonstrates more spiritual sight than the Pharisees seem to have. But we notice that he still doesn't fully understand who Jesus is and all that he came to accomplish. And we see for the first time in this passage the blindness of the Pharisees and that they had willingly made themselves so. Of course, they're not the only ones. Look down at verse 18. The narrative continues The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So they literally have the recipient of this miracle at their disposal, insisting upon his healing, and they don't believe him until they call his parents in for questioning. Notice in verses 18 and 19, the Jews' refusal to believe. This is likely even some of the crowd of neighbors that was involved in the initial interrogation. They believed they'd simply stumbled across the man's doppelganger. They refused to believe that this man could have been healed. Additionally, notice the antagonistic and accusative nature of their questioning in verses 18 through 24. Notice, look down at verse 18 with me. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. They asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. The parents acknowledge this man was indeed their son. They acknowledge that he was indeed born blind. This had not been a lifelong fake, a lifelong ruse for this young man. His parents admit that this is their son and he was indeed blind. What they don't admit is that they have no idea who has healed him or how he's regained his sight. They didn't know, or so they claimed. John tells us this response is ultimately motivated by fear. Look at verse 22. Verse 22, John notes to the readers, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. His parents wanted to avoid any potential for conflict with the religious authorities. They wanted to avoid any possibility of being excommunicated. And so they give the the crowd the easiest answer. He's of legal age to testify for himself. Ask him. We don't want anything to do with this. Parents who should have clearly been excited for their son's miraculous healing are forced into a position of of doubt and even disownment in a sense of their own son. In their own blindness, they note that their son is of legal age to testify for himself and claim ignorance. 
once again, as they encouraged the religious authorities, the, the Jewish people, to return to their son for further questioning. This is exactly what they do, beginning in verse 24. And so having interrogated his parents, the religious authorities now turn to the blind man once again to question his account of the healing, most likely hoping to find some inconsistency with his story. The Pharisees call him in for the second time. They call the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Their very opening statement as they begin to question this formerly blind man, they're asking him to admit that Jesus was a sinner. That's exactly what they're saying as they open with the phrase, give glory to God. They're saying, you need to acknowledge this man is a sinner. You have to love the utter simplicity of the blind man's message as he answers them in verse 25. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Again, the Pharisees are rehashing the same story that they've already heard a, a number of times. Once again, you can imagine the blind man's excitement is maybe beginning to wear off. This healing has actually caused far more problems for him than it maybe has caused good at this point. He's irritated. He's being dragged in for questioning now again and asked to tell the exact same story. And so what's his response? His message is clear and succinct. While the Pharisees desperately try to find a contradiction, he says in verse 25, or excuse me, he says in verse 27, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now at this point, you notice the sarcasm of the blind man as he responds to the Pharisees. He had already explained his story, and they would not believe him. Verse 22 explains that they'd already made up their minds about Jesus. Remember, verse 22, John writes, His parents are afraid to testify for their son because they feared the reaction of the Jews. The Jews, the Pharisees, the religious authorities, they had already decided who Jesus was and what he'd come to accomplish. If anybody should confess him to be Christ, they would be put out of the temple. They would be excommunicated from Jewish society for all intents and purposes. And so his parents say, because of this, he's of age, ask him, we don't want anything to do with this situation. And, and we see from that confession in verse 22 that the Pharisees have already made up their minds about Jesus. They're not in a position to be taught. They're not in a position with soft hearts looking to learn, looking to see. The blind man's response to the Pharisees is noticeably sarcastic. I told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear this story again? Have your hearts been changed? Do you want to follow him as well? Why do you want to hear this account again? The Pharisees are clearly angered by the suggestion that they would want to follow Jesus. And, and so what do they do? They turn to insults. They reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Once again, clinging to this old covenant law, their traditions that set them apart. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. They too claim ignorance about Jesus. We we don't know where he's from. Don't accuse us of wanting to be followers of him. You're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know where Moses came from. We know that Moses' words were inspired, but we don't know who he is. Despite Jesus already having told them who he was, despite Jesus already having demonstrated who he was through various miracles, this one included, the Pharisees still claimed that they did not know who Jesus was or what he came to accomplish. They would have known Old Testament prophecies, foretelling, foreshadowing of the future Messiah that would come and bring light to the darkness and restore sight to the blind. And Jesus is literally accomplishing that in this text and they're refusing to see it. Once again, the miracle is staring them in the face and they're blind. As you notice the response of the blind man, he continues to call out the Pharisees' lies. They claim they don't know where he comes from. And the blind man, once again, demonstrating more spiritual sight than this entire body of religious authorities. They continue in their obstinate attitude towards Jesus and their rejection of him. And so the blind man identifies their rejection and begins to teach them. You say you don't know where he's from, so let me explain it for a moment. Look at verse 30. The Pharisees reject, they claim ignorance, and here is the blind man's response. He answers in verse 30, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The blind man's biting monologue in verses 30 through 33 exposes the willful rejection of Jesus by the Pharisees. This blind beggar had the spiritual insight to recognize that Jesus could do nothing apart from God. And yet, the religious leaders of the day claim to have no knowledge of where he's from or where he draws his power. As is often the case for those who have steeped themselves in the rejection of God's truth, they're completely blind and have no response for this blind beggar whose eyes have been opened. The blind beggar with no education, no life experience, his only experiences have been sat at the front of the temple begging for money. He is teaching and instructing and taking these Pharisees to task on their lies, on their rejection of who Jesus is. Without any response for the man, they insult him again and throw him out of the temple. Notice in verse 34, They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? How dare you teach us? Once again, the Pharisees wrongly attribute the cause of the man's blindness to a specific sin. They excommunicate him from the temple. Notice again, the Pharisees have managed to forget the Old Testament example, the Old Testament book of Job, which clearly demonstrates that suffering is not always caused by sin. 
Of course, in this sense, suffering did cause the man's blindness. As you can, you can definitely say from the fall, the fall has caused this man's blindness in this sense. But to accuse this man of a specific sin committed at or prior to birth that resulted in his blindness is ludicrous. This is what the Pharisees are claiming. They would have gone so far as to say that this man as a baby prior to birth would have committed some sin in the womb that had resulted in his blindness. This was the legalism of the Pharisees. Note also that this is the very first follower of Jesus who is thrown out of the temple for his witness, for his unashamed witness in many respects. The blind beggar's testimony and witness in this passage is truly admirable. Finally, as we work our way down the text in verse 35, the blind man has been cast out and Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, notice once again that Jesus pursues the blind man. He asks him an important question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man responds, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. Now in verses 35 and 38, we see the climax of this text. The blind man finally sees. Jesus once again pursues and approaches the blind man and asks him an important question. He asks him if he believes in the Son of Man. Once again, a clear reference to Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. This is likely, it's, it's very likely that at this point in the text, the blind man does not realize he's talking to the man who healed him. Once again, as Jesus healed him, he was blind. He sent him away to the pool of Siloam. He comes back seeing, but there's no record that he ever interacts with Jesus again. And so at this point, his response is likely that he's willing to believe in the Son of Man, but he's ignorant. He doesn't understand who that is. Jesus then reveals himself to the blind man, whose response was twofold, to believe and to worship. Jesus then makes a statement. He says in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind... You would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This ultimately is the mission of the Messiah. In verses 39 through 41, Jesus is highlighting his mission as Messiah. It's to come into the world to seek and save the lost. Jesus frequently references this mission. He also tells us later in the Gospels that those who are healthy don't need a physician. The sick need a doctor. Someone who's healthy has no use for a doctor. Jesus came to save those who are in spiritual darkness. But as for those who believe they saw clearly and were stuck in their pride, Jesus condemns and blinds. Once again, going back to our passage this morning, connecting with our passage this morning, those who have convinced themselves that they are in the right, once you turn your back on God, that's when God turns his back on you. God never initiates that kind of a relationship with an individual. It is always the individual that initiates that relationship with God. 
This was clearly the case with the Pharisees. Once again, verse 22, the entire response of the parents, their fear to stand up for their son, to stand up for what they knew to be true, was because the Pharisees and the religious crowd had already decided what was true about Jesus. They'd already decided he couldn't be the Messiah. So they had rejected him. And anyone who claimed he was the Christ would also be similarly excommunicated. Jesus clearly explains to the Pharisees that since they have convinced themselves that they see, they actually are blind. Jesus does not blind or harden anyone, but those such as the Pharisees who were hardened by pride are thus blinded by pride. This is the case For believers as well, many times, we can too similarly be blinded by pride. The Pharisees' blindness and sin is inextricably linked to their rejection of Jesus as Messiah. If they recognized their blindness and turned to Jesus to restore their spiritual sight, they would have been saved. They would have no sin in a sense. But since they believed they were in the light, they were blinded by pride and their sin remained. And so as we reach the end of our text and we look back over the course of this text, we see ironically the only one who truly sees is the blind man. By the time John has worked us through this narrative, by the end of the passage, we've interacted with multiple different groups of people. And the only one who sees is the man who started out the passage blind. That is, of course, except for Jesus who passed by and saw. Jesus pursued this blind man in the same way that he pursues you and I today. He pursued this blind man. The danger for believers today of spiritual blindness is the same. We must constantly be aware of our need to be spiritually quickened, to be awakened by the Holy Spirit. Our consciences need to be lit on fire constantly by God's word so that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's working in our hearts. One commentator writes, From birth, every person is blind to the light of the world and separated from God. True blindness goes much deeper than the eyes. It is a disease that creates blindness to oneself. This is the blindness that we're dealing with in this passage. It is blindness that surpasses physical blindness of the eyes. It's a blindness of the heart. And thus we can reach the end of the passage and say the only one who truly saw was the blind man. And this is John's irony. This is what John wants us to understand. Do you have eyes to see today? Do you have eyes to see Or are you spiritually blinded by pride? As we look over our text today, one question must ring in our eyes. And it must be a question that we continually ask ourselves in the Christian walk. Do you have eyes to see? 